Hey, everyone. Welcome to the weekly show where we take a look back and forward at some of the biggest news stories affecting the sport we love. Whether it's a broken home run record, a famous player's birth, or a major franchise trade, we'll have it all covered. I'm Jeff Lambert, and this is This Week in Baseball History. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's show. Thank you for joining me. If this is your first time, welcome. Remember, this is the podcast specifically for subscribers to the Rounders, a History of Baseball in America weekly email newsletter. I'm excited to get back into talking about some of what's happening during the week in addition to our main episodes. And I've got some great stories to share with you for this week and what happened these past seven days. So let's get into our first segment, as we always do, memorable events that happened this week. On February 27, 1901, the National League Rules Committee decreed that all foul balls were to count as strikes, except for anything after two strikes. That was put into code on 1901. On February 28, 1966, Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale began a joint holdout of the Dodgers. The two worked together to seek an unprecedented, at that time, three-year, $1.05 million contract to be divided between them evenly. On March 1st, 1969, Mickey Mantle decided to hang it up and retire. He ended his career with 2,415 hits and 536 home runs in 18 years with the New York Yankees. It certainly is a big what if if he had stayed playing longer, but unfortunately, he dealt with persistent knee injuries that cut his career short. On March 2nd, 1874, the batter's box was officially adopted at the fourth meeting of the Professional Association in Boston, Massachusetts. It is also decided at this meeting that expulsion will be the penalty for any player that bets against his own team and any player betting on any other team will forfeit his pay. So we see a real crackdown uh, here in terms of inside gambling, and this certainly sets a precedent for later. On March 3rd, 1956, the Giants, they were getting ready to leave New York, and there was a push to get them to stay. So Manhattan Borough President Hulin Jack made plans and presented a new 110,000-seat stadium over the New York Central Railroad tracks. And it was going to be a 470,000-foot suite that stretched from 60th to 72nd Street on Manhattan's west side. The estimated cost of this new stadium was projected at $75 million. Remember, that's 1956 money, too. And that cost eventually doomed the project and was a significant factor in Horace Stoneham, the team owner's final decision to move the Giants to San Francisco. On March 4th, 1913, the Yankees are the first team to train outside the United States when they went to Bermuda for spring practice. And on March 5th, 1973, Yankees teammates Fritz Peterson and Mike Kelvich arrived at spring training and announced that they had officially swapped their wives and families. Even the family dogs were trained. This was done as a stunt. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a future episode. And that concludes our quick hits, our memorable moments for this week. 
Let's go ahead and jump into our focus story. I like to take one, I guess, topic and create a little mini episode for you in each week of this this week in baseball history show. So today I want to jump into the event that we talked about that happened on uh, on March uh, 5th, 1973, where we saw Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale issue a joint holdout against the Los Angeles Dodgers. I want to get into that story a little bit more because it's fascinating. So you have Koufax and Drysdale. They're both star pitchers at this time for the L.A. Dodgers, and they decided in 1966 to work together to stage a, a holdout against the team to negotiate for better contracts. So at the time, they're both two of the best pitchers in the major leagues. They felt they were not being paid what they were worth. And the Dodgers had won the World Series in 1963 and 1965. So naturally, we see that both these players feel that in the, going into the 1966 season, that they deserve to be compensated more. So uh, Koufax and Drivesdale in the offseason going into 1966 demanded that their contract should be renegotiated. And they both refused to report to spring training until a deal was reached. And that holdout lasted for several weeks and it generated, obviously, a lot of media attention. So with public pressure and the fact that two of their best players were not going to take the mound for the season, the Dodgers eventually caved to the pressure and they agreed to increase Koufax's and Drysdale's salaries. Now, Koufax went on after this salary increase to have an outstanding season in 1966, but he ended up retiring at the end of the year due to having some chronic arm injuries that he had been dealing with over and over. Uh, Drysdale also had a great season in 1966 as a result of getting this extension. He went on to pitch for several more years, although his effectiveness certainly started to decline as we reached the end of the 1960s. So the Koufax and Drysdale holdout is a significant moment because it was one of those just watershed decisions that really impacted player contract negotiations in the future in professional sports overall, not just in baseball, because it demonstrated that star players could hold out and use that leverage of their talent to be able to uh, negotiate better deals for uh, teams that were looking to stay competitive. So this is certainly a landmark moment in player power, uh, especially during a very critical time for trying to push for that. Uh, you know, this is right around the Kurt Flood situation. So we see players continuing to push for more uh, negotiating power at the table. And this decision certainly had a big impact on that. So that's our focus story for this week. Koufax and Drysdale and their monumentous decision to hold out for more money. Let's go ahead and move into our final section of this week. And that is, I like to share a couple current news stories with you. So we're looking back and forward. We're talking about history. We love baseball history, but what's going on currently in the world of sports? I have two really exciting, interesting stories to share with you. Number one, the Czech Republic are the world baseball classics underdog stars. This is a fun story that's been developing over the past week. So the Czech baseball team is gearing up for its first appearance in the World Baseball Classic. And they're obviously widely considered to be an underdog to place or to win this tournament. But the team is really confident in their abilities, and they're really excited to compete globally. This team has an interesting mix of experienced players. They have young up-and-comers, and they really hope to surprise the competition by being a bit of an unknown 
in this tournament. They have a lot of energy and enthusiasm that's evident if you watch some of the videos of this team. So the group does face some challenges, though. They come into this tournament being a team that probably has one of the most limited amounts of funding to be able to handle things like uh, being able to travel in comfort, to have the equipment that they need to compete properly. And leading up to the World Baseball Classic, they didn't have quality training facilities to be able to prepare for this. But they're really excited to be there, and they want to make the most of their opportunity to represent their country with pride. So uh, the Czech Republic's team uh, journey to the World Baseball Classic, it's been a long road overall, I think, for them. But they're really proud to be able to be on the world stage They've got a strong team culture. They're very positive. They have this combination of talent. They've got this this nose for hard work, it seems like. And it's certainly going to be interesting to see if they make a splash in this tournament and inspire other smaller countries who, where we don't think traditionally baseball being a rooted sport to be able to participate in the World Baseball Classic and make some noise. So uh, you are receiving the newsletter that's included with this podcast. Click on the link to read about the full story from Michael Clare. He wrote it from MLB.com. Gives you a little bit more background into the team. Very fascinating. So go Czech Republic. I'll be rooting for you in this year's tournament. Story number two. The MLB's new rules are showing encouraging signs during spring training. So we know that one of the rules that was passed going into the season is the introduction of the pitch clock. In Major League Baseball, it has been controversial. I know some fans and players not liking it. Some do like it. I am reserving my opinion on that for a little while longer. I was initially against it, but, you know, I I think I could be swayed to go the other way. And it's been interesting seeing it unfold. But we had an article from Zach Kreiser from Yahoo Sports who's making the argument that the pitch clock is actually really showing already to be a positive development for baseball and is bringing it back to its roots. And he's arguing that the pitch clock is forcing pitchers to throw more strikes and to put the focus back on the art of pitching rather than controlling the pace of the game. It's an interesting um, thesis that he puts forth. And he also notes that the pitch clock, it's not necessarily a new idea. There's a lot of controversy around it. But there have been other forms of using this throughout baseball history. And kind of by creating a modern-day solution to try and speed things up and hold pitchers more accountable for pace of play, the MLB is really going back to embracing their heritage of making sure that uh, rule changes benefit the sport overall, that we're not stuck in just doing something because it's been done for years and years and years. And so it's an interesting argument that he put together. He feels that the pitch clock is a way to modernize the game and make it more appealing without completely sacrificing the tradition of the game. I would encourage you to read the article. Again, the link is in the email. Tell me what you think. I have a poll in this week's newsletter. If you like it or you hate it, and if this article ends up uh, swaying your opinion either way. Folks, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I want to thank you for tuning in, for supporting both this uh, show, this mini show, I guess you could call it, for being a subscriber, and supporting the main show for Rounders. It means a lot to me that you take the time to just get involved in not only listening, but taking a part in this uh, baseball enthusiast community that we're building. So I encourage you. uh, You can help me by doing just one quick thing this week. Please go on the podcast catcher of your choice. Leave a review 
for either this podcast or for the main show, Rounders, because it really helps us get in front of new people. And I can't tell you how important that is just for the algorithm. So just take a moment. You can write one sentence, leave a couple stars, five preferably. (laughs) And if you really like what we're doing, uh, let people know so we can get in front of more fans. And that would mean a lot to me. It's something free that you can do. Obviously, if you'd like to become a paid member, that would mean a lot too for a cup of coffee per month. You can get uh, more of a say in this show, really help guide its direction, have your voice heard during the episodes. We have a list of benefits that I'd encourage you to check out for you to just become a, a financial supporter of the show. But either way, folks, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week.